Welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. There's our 10-minute lesson series, which aims to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview of somewhere in between 8 to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people really need to know. There's our seminar series, which provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events. And there's our interview series, where we chat to experts on a range of policy areas. This is one of those. This week marks World Social Media Day. Our digital lives have become more and more important to us over the last 16 or so months. It allows us to socialise, be entertained, shop, work and learn from our kitchen tables and our box rooms. But all that data needs to be filtered, stored and managed somewhere. So to chat about data centres, data creation, energy usage, the environmental impacts and alternative energies, we're joined by Dr. Patrick Bresenhan from the Geography Department of Maynooth University. We hope you enjoy. The first thing I suppose, in, you know, maybe to kind of figure out where you come at this from, it's a geography department at Maynooth University. How does that link in with data centres or is it something that is kind of separate to that? Um, good question. Um, I guess it, it definitely does, geography definitely does relate to data centres. Um, so my background is in, um, I guess, I guess it's around environmental governance and environmental politics. Um, And, you know, geography is the discipline that I think, you know, is best at trying to sort of get at the relationships and interactions between nature and society. You know, that's what it studies from a more physical sort of natural science sort of perspective, but also from a human social science perspective. Um, so it's a kind of obvious home for somebody who is trying to understand what are, you know, really quite complex relationships between, in this case, you know, digital economy, infrastructures, uh, energy, climate change, and the way in which that is very spatial, you know, uh, in, 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 in every Every way you look at it, that is a spatial set of relationships. And geography is about space and place. That makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. But I think that for a lot of people, they did geography maybe for leaving cert. I didn't even do geography for leaving cert. But I think their understanding of geography is sort of Oxbow Lakes Correct. and um, uh, <laughs> glacial valleys and stuff. Yeah, yeah which is, <laughs> I, I know nothing about those things. And yeah. the geography you study in university and the geography that academics do is very different to that. I mean, they study Oxbow Lakes too, yeah. but they study everything from, you know, migration to, you know, geopolitics to, you know, um, you know, climate change. So okay. Okay. it's a, it's a very, very broad and I think eclectic um, discipline. And that's why lots of people, you know, are, are finding a home in it because, um, you know, other, other disciplines maybe are, are, are not so open to, to that kind of, you know, the need for this kind of interdisciplinary work. I have a loose understanding of what a data centre is, and I don't know about the listeners what kind of understanding that they would have about a data centre. Can you expand a little bit as to what they actually are? Sure. I mean, I, I should also preface 
although we already did that, that I'm not uh, an engineer. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I'm not an IT specialist either. But a data center for, you know, the, you know, for the what we need to know is, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's a big, you could think about it in terms of big, big sheds, you know, right. big warehouses, in terms of what it looks like architecturally in the landscape. Uh, so it's a relatively kind of, you know, nondescript large warehouse, but inside it are thousands of servers, uh, computer servers, just like you have in your own computer, but on a much larger scale. And these servers hold data. So it's, it's, it's the storage of data. So the data that we use when we, what we're doing now uh, yeah. is, you know, that's being stored somewhere, the cloud. The cloud, yeah. one part of the cloud is the data center. Nice. It's one very important kind of infrastructure that makes up the cloud. So the cloud is not ethereal. It doesn't exist in the clouds. It is a very material thing. And one form it takes is the data center. Um, and the other thing about these sort of, you know, um, big warehouses for these servers is that they are uh, hugely energy intensive mm -hmm. and water intensive and also obviously are connected to um, fiber optics so the data can get to them. So they're very sort of, they're also very networked infrastructures. So they're not just a sort of a, a standalone warehouse. Those warehouses are connected to all sorts of cables, um, power lines, you know, water pipes that enable them to function. Um, and I guess because those things are out of sight, that's partly also why they can be seen to be fairly benign uh, when in fact they're not um, so benign. Yeah. And I, I think they have been in the media a lot recently and Ireland seems to be a very attractive place for companies to build data centres and there's, there's kind of strange reasons for that really, isn't there? Like I had read somewhere that our, our, our climate. Yes, yes, you see that quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. So that's an argument that's put out um, by, I, I guess, the, the data centre industry and, um, you know, certain you know, a certain kind of, uh, you know, people working in the sector, you know, and, and politicians. And, I, you know, there is some truth to that, uh, I'm sure. You know, it, it means that it's cooler, so it, it, it's, it's, it requires less energy to cool the, the servers. That's a lot of what the energy is used for. But it's also a bit disingenuous to say that, um, you know, because otherwise you, you, you'd have data centers in very cold parts of the world and it'd all be located there, you know. So it's clearly not the only reason or the main reason. Um, I think that in Ireland, you could look at the, the fact that the tech sector is already has a strong foothold here. Mm -hmm. And that's since the 90s, well, actually further back the 70s and 80s. But in terms of kind of Google, um, uh, Facebook, um, Amazon, you know, uh, you know, locating here in the sort of 90s, 2000s. You know, so they've got kind of their offices and we know about Silicon Docks and so on in Dublin and Cork. Um, and so the data centers, which really start, you know, developing in the late 2000s, mm -hmm. uh, they are linked to that, you know, okay. that they're not they're not part of the same, I guess, um, you know, set of businesses. There's no requirement for the data centers to be close to the, the, the offices. But the fact that they're based here and they're already kind of embedded the fact that they, um, you know, uh, have the ear also of the, the the state, the IDA, for example, you know, which is, you know, so instrumental in drawing foreign direct investment to Ireland, 
you know, that it, it makes sense that they would have been quick to attract data centers to locate here when they started sort of proliferating. Um, so that that's another that's a, that's a big reason. Um, and then the other the other reason I would say is is related to that is that the Irish state in terms of planning, uh, in terms of uh, provision of infrastructures, land, other kinds of resources since the 70s uh, has been very um, much geared towards attracting foreign direct investment. Uh, so that's initially that was sort of chemical manufacturers and uh, other kinds of uh, hard industry, um, you know, and then it's the likes of Intel, you know, in the, in the 80s. But, you know, it has a long kind of institutional sort of sort of embeddedness or, or sort of culture in enabling these kinds of foreign direct investments and in infrastructures. So that's another reason I would see data centers being here. So, for example, I had a, a master's student doing some work on the kind of history of foreign direct investment in Ireland and the way it's shaped infrastructures. And he found some fascinating stuff from the 70s when Pfizer was setting up in Cork and um, new water treatment plants and water infrastructures were built by Cork County Council for Pfizer. Okay. So, you know, you, you, you have this, uh, you know, public infrastructure in inverted commas that's being built out to service a private industry. You know, that's in the 70s, all the way up to today, where you have, um, you know, data centers being built, which require large amounts of, of energy, but also water and land. There is a connection there. There, there, there is a continuity, I would say, um, in, in, in those kinds of projects. And, you know, Ireland's economy being very much geared towards and reliant on foreign direct investment. Um, that's probably why they're in the, the news so much. I mean, the last couple of weeks, it just seems to be getting, it seems to be kind of a growing apace, the conversation now about the energy usage of data centres, the emission of data centres, because you've got the climate action bill in one hand and as you said foreign direct investment and the data centers in the mm. other mm. um i mean that is going to be a problem as we go down the line I, I mean i had watched you recently and you had this amazing statistic about netflix and was it a particular program that was being watched it was the, the tiger king yeah right? yeah yeah and the energy usage with this particular program being particular watched at a particular time was the equivalent to, and I think it was the energy usage of an entire African country. Yes, it was the it was the energy used to stream Tiger King in the month of March in the US. So March 2020 is when it came out. So the energy used to stream it in that month was equivalent to the entire energy used in Rwanda in 2017. And that's the bit I think that fascinates me is 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 the the data usage or so the, the energy usage that is linked with data mm -hmm. so in my brain when i think like i used to work in record shops and record companies years and years and years and years ago when such a thing existed so music was a piece of plastic and a piece of cardboard so i can see it as a carbon footprint mm. creating that physical thing so now in my brain spotify or any other streaming services you use or netflix because they're invisible, because they're intangible, I never really associated those things with having carbon footprints. But obviously they do, they're huge. Because mm -hmm. yeah. the, the data center doesn't create data. No, 
Well, no. Although, you know, it's an interesting point there because, you know, what, you know, an argument you hear is that, you know, people want more data and it's, it's consumers that are driving this. But actually these companies, um, which are, uh, you know, enabling it, um, you know, whether that is the likes of Amazon Web Services or the actual providers of these data storage services, or whether it's the streaming platforms like Netflix or YouTube, their business model is based on people consuming more data. Mm -hmm. So data centers are being built, which are not yet full of servers, because they are projecting that more data will be consumed. And the way in which, I mean, you know this too, if you watch Netflix, um, it drives me mad. Uh, you know, you finished a series and, you know, it may have touched you in some way, yeah. you know, and you want five minutes just to sort of let it sit. <laughs> and you've got a 10 second countdown before the next thing, which is supposedly algorithmically linked to what you just watched comes on. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that, that idea of being plugged in, of, of them m making you want to watch more, be stay connected more, which is linked to our devices. You know, yeah. the, the iPhone I have now compared to 15 years ago, the, um, the amount of bandwidth that it, it, can, it can download, the quality in the screen, all of that stuff is, is not consumer demand. I mean, again, these, these companies want you to buy a new phone every two years. Mm -hmm. And they sell it to you on the basis that you can you can download more, you can watch more. So, you know, I'm not saying that people, you know, don't like being able to watch cat videos on their phone. You know, they do that, sure. But that kind of uh, practice, that consumption is immensely profitable for a relatively small number of companies. And, uh, and in the same way, I, I just make this one point, in the same way that people are raising issues around fast fashion mm. or fast food, or fast furniture, people are becoming more aware that, uh, you know, you know, buying throwaway clothes has huge impacts on workers, on the environment. It's the same thing with fast data or big data. It's the same, it's the same principle. And I think that, you know, as people become more aware of the kind of footprint of data and the digital economy, maybe there will be more pressure in the same way that there is on H&M or uh, Zara or these other, you know, companies, which make huge profits off the fact that people, you know, dispose of clothes easily because they're cheap and they're made to be disposed. The same with this data. It's designed to be, you know, used quickly and replaced with more data. Do you know what I mean? That, that's exactly what I was going to say to you is that I don't think it's, it certainly has never dawned on me before that, that uh, every time I either download or upload that it's, there's a carbon footprint it's, it's not neutral and and just to kind of back up your point you'd often wonder does somebody who is tweeting or putting up photos on instagram or whatever the kids are using now the snapchats and what have you yeah. um you know they're 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 they're, they're recycled clothes and they're upcycled furniture and their eco lifestyle but if you're tweeting about that and writing a blog about it and making podcasts about it, it yeah. goes you know that that I don't I don't know we're not quite making that link yet with yes. our carbon footprint and the amount of as I said invisible data no we're not but I, I would also say maybe that the you know the strategy which has been around since uh, you know really since the 80s and 90s this idea that you know if individuals consumers 
are more aware of where their things come from, they will change their behavior and that will make a difference. That hasn't really worked at all anyway with other things. I mean, you know, carbon footprint, people are aware about yeah. cars, they're aware of flying. They're, that's not what is going to make the difference. What makes the difference is um, a kind of a, 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 you know, policy changes, changes in our kind of uh, models of development, um, which obviously, you know, comes from, you know, citizens, comes from some kinds of, you know, collective action or pressure on governments. But ultimately, that's, that's what's going to change things. It's not going to be, you know, making people feel guilty for watching, um, binge watching Netflix. Yeah. That, yeah. They're not the problem. I, you know, yeah. that's not a good practice in, in, a, in a kind of a, when you scale it up, it's, got, it's damaging. But they're not the problem. The problem is the, um, is the, the, the kind of industry, you know, and the, the kind of drivers of it. Um, but it's a tricky one because I, I don't think it's also as simple as, as economics. It's also cultural. I mean, mm -hmm. like you say, we, you know, especially with the lockdown, we're, we're all online, you know, culturally, socially, it's, it, it, it's hard to imagine not being, you know, linked to all sorts of flows of data all the time. Um, and so, you know, how you see that, you know, changing, um, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely difficult. Um, that, that's where I, I, I do. I feel for policymakers in a sense, because, you know, as we said, you've got uh, one arm is foreign direct investment, uh, bringing in business, bringing in, you know, economy and wages and growth. And then you've got another arm saying, hang on a second, the grid's going to start. We're going to brown out by 2030. And then mm. another arm is saying, well, actually, broadband for everybody, digital inclusion for everybody. Uh, digital literacy for everybody so everybody's doing the best possible job that they can but there are tensions within that so you're yeah. going to have a brownout if every single person in the country has access to wi-fi and is online with some sort of machine uploading downloading i mean i, I do agree with you i mean i you know, as, as you said, kind of 15 years ago and, you know, you'd be looking on your phone. I mean, I don't know how I live without Shazam. I don't know how I lived without, uh, you know, being able instantly to go, who's your man in that movie again? Now he was in that other thing with your one. I mean, I would miss being able, you know, to, to instantly find out all of that information. So there is no going back, I suppose. So yeah. how do we how do we move forward? in a sustainable way. I think that seems to be the, the big question. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, is a, it is a difficult one. I, I, I don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> but what I do think is important is that we do just check this idea that like increasing amounts of data and the dominance of the digital economy is somehow natural or inevitable mm. because it's not. And I think that if you look at things like, I mean, that was the example of streaming, you know, and these companies that are very powerful and push, push this sort of consumption of data. But you can also look at things like 5G and broadband. Uh, and you can look at the ways in which data and data driven solutions and digital technologies are very often positioned as actually the solution to all sorts of problems whether that's climate change, whether that's uh, traffic, whether it's, you know, you know, everything border, border, you know, illegal mi migrants and so on. 
And again, that's tech. That's the tech industry that are positioning themselves as the savior to problems which they are very much bound up in causing, as we just outlined with the energy for data centers and so on. And I think, um, I think we need to sort of just check that and, and question it. And the more work that comes out, and not just by academics, but you know, cultural work, you know, by artists, by activists that are showing these connections because they are hard to see. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is, is an aesthetic challenge about how you make these things perceptible in ways that can mean something to people and, uh, uh, you know, make people recognize that, that these things are connected. Well, that's what, you know, I guess at the moment, that's what we can do. Um, and if rolling blackouts start happening, obviously that's going to be a massive, uh, you know, impetus to sort of questioning the, uh, you know, the kind of immaterial cloud-like quality of, of the, of the tech sector, you know, which is not all shiny Silicon docs. It's, I mean, something that, you know, because the work that I've been doing is around data centers because they're located here, but, you know, um, as I said, the cloud is made up of a whole set of sort of resource extraction infrastructures, um, the kind of supply chain, I guess, of the cloud. And other people are doing work on things like lithium mining mm-hmm. and rare earth mining around the world. And these are uh, metals and, and uh, elements that are needed in all our devices, um, you know, which is what we need to get the data. Yeah. So if, if you consider all of it together, you know, it is as dirty and as polluting as i mean maybe not as but similar to like we hate chevron you know we don't like shell we know that it does all sorts of terrible things but apple and google and facebook are also very much involved in extraction of matter from the earth in places like congo you know peru um and they're also involved in you know burning fossil fuels you know to heat data centers and so on so I think that there is a real task of, of kind of, you know, just putting a break on, you know, you hear this kind of green, green capitalism and kind of ecological modernization, this idea that we can just fix the problems through technology. Mm-hmm. That is, um, that, that's something that just really needs to be questioned and challenged at all these different kind of points where we're seeing these contradictions. Um, just even to kind of go back to that thing about you said about kind of fast fashion and um, extraction. I mean, the, the the data itself has monetary value. So the data that's being extracted. So what you're being sold, as you said, it's about consumers. It's about companies selling you things. I mean, there was a statistic I saw at the weekend, and they were talking about the NHS data in the UK, and. I think 55 million, I think, was the value of it, or, uh, you know, uh, sorry, 10, 10 billion, sorry, uh, 10 billion is what the data would be worth to companies that could extract something from it. So that's just a, something as simple as maybe blood types and what, you know, diseases are linked to blood types. And so, so it is, it's, it's data as product as well, I suppose, isn't it, that we're constantly creating, oh, Patrick likes cat videos, you know, let's... Uh, <laughs> You know, let's 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 sell him the next thing, uh, and I. But we're we're a bit more aware of that, I think, though, aren't we? I think data us as product. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I think we're a bit more aware of it, but I don't know how much more aware. Mm. 
I, I kind of feel like with the data, because there's so many different points where you could come at the, yeah. the, the, the sort of the politics of data. And I think that, you know, the one that is probably most in the public domain is around surveillance and privacy. And that's not so much about the kind of um, the, the business models around data and the kind of economics of data. It's more around the kind of, you know, liberal democracy you know, personal freedoms, the freedoms to just sort of not be surveyed and so on. And that's obviously a very important issue. But I think it's interesting that that's the one that probably gets most sort of coverage and discussion. Whereas at least these two other elements that we're talking about, on the one hand, the kind of material, ecological kind of impacts of the digital economy and data. And on the other hand, the ways in which companies mine us for data. We become the kind of the ge ge you know, geological you know, frontier and they can extract this data from us and the work we do also for them. This, this great work, I was just trying to find the name of the, the artist, um, but she, she, she kind of did this interesting project where it kind of brings those two, those, those latter two pieces together, which is around on Amazon and how when you fill out um, uh, information when you're buying something on Amazon, not only are you providing them with data, which they can use to sell things to you, but you are also, they're also outsourcing the energy um, requirement to put in those instructions. Yeah. Because every time you're putting in that information, you are, um, you're clicking. You, you, you know, and each of those clicks is effectively a small amount of energy that's on your computer. It's not yeah. their computer. So if you if you add that up, that's a lot. The outsourcing, oh. as well as your kind of your own work, your time that you spend doing it. But it's yeah, it's 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 a, uh, you know, when you think about it like that, I mean, you know, this this model. I mean, people have talked about it as platform capitalism. You know, that these companies that effectively just own these platforms that people need to uh you know be networked to or connected to in order to access services and so on they're these you know huge monopolies that have this incredible business model um that means they don't really have to produce very much they just they just they just have the platform that people sign up to and have to go through in order to get stuff that's produced by other people you know um, and I know it's not, it's not really a, a subject for discussion today, but I suppose the vulnerabilities of having all of your information stored digitally has been really highlighted with the health service, um, yeah. you know, cyber attack that, I mean, I often think of, you know, kind of sci-fi movies where robots take over the world. And I thought we are so far past that. If the robot says, <laughs> you know, my, my ATM card doesn't work, I'm not getting any money. If the robot doesn't say, well, you're not down for elective surgery today, I'm not getting my gallbladder taken out. So mm. we're already at the mercy of, um, you know, systems. Yes. And the delicacy of those systems. I mean, if the payroll system goes down, sorry, Patrick, you know, we don't, we don't have cash. We can't pay you in cash. You're going to have to wait two weeks until we fix payroll system I mean what happens then so it's you know I know it's kind of slightly off topic but how I suppose how how enslaved we can be by data as well that everything is now virtual everything is digital yeah yeah I, I mean 
I mean, I, I agree all that, you know, the, 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 it's scary, the kind of extent to which things are connected and as a result, sort of vulnerable. But I think what's important with all of those things that we've talked about is that, um, you know, these things are not just uh, some kind of, again, like natural yeah. evolution of, of human culture and ingenuity, you know, um, they are, they are driven, they are produced and driven by certain actors that we can, I mean, obviously it extends beyond them, you know, uh, but we can point to certain, you know, uh, you decisions know, were made along the line and yeah. different paths were taken, as you said, that it, it isn't inevitable that we end no. up. And we can look at those those companies, particularly companies that benefit, like profit, mm -hmm. from this this way of organizing things. And I think that that's really important. It's not some kind of flat, sort of um, you know, uh, matrix-like thing network that mm -hmm. has us all sort of bound up. You know, we are talking about you know Amazon, Facebook, Google, you know, and you know the ways in which they have been brought to attention around tax, you know, that's important because, you know, they, they make huge, 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 huge profits. And those profits, as we said, are not just out of selling us stuff. Mm -hmm. I would say that they're also out of the outsourcing of things like the, um, the, the environmental costs of extracting, you know, you know, rare earth elements for our devices. You know, they also benefit from that because those are all costs that can be outsourced. And, Taxing is definitely one way of starting with that, you know, taxing them properly. Um, and I think going back to Ireland and the data centers and, and the, you know, the, the tech sector being so embedded here, I mean, you know, that, that that's an obvious clear issue in terms of the, the sort of social justice of, of this, which is that, you know, with the data centers that use up lots of energy, obviously that's bad for emissions and bad for the environment and our climate targets. But you know, we're also talking about public infrastructures, um, energy, well, at least historically has been public infrastructure, mm -hmm. which is for, you know, public good. And these infrastructures are being, you know, not only used by, but also built, you know, designed, shaped by the needs of these very big corporates. And they're not paying very much tax, as we know because they pay some of the lowest corporation tax. So, you know, these things are connected. Uh, you know, issues that people are raising around tax are also connected to issues around uh, the environmental harms and burdens uh, that these same companies are kind of outsourcing on, on other places and, and people. And they, they do sell themselves as, you know, trying, you know, kind of committing to sort of zero emissions or negative emissions I mean that's going to be very 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 difficult if we remain I suppose using the same energy sources that we currently do so I know you're kind of wind energy would be another one of your um, areas of expertise I suppose and, and sort of how that overlaps I mean how how how, how does how do you see that going forward how do you see that that future unfolding well yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's really important because it's it's the, the sort of first sort of I guess you know the the first point of of criticism around the data centers was that they use a lot of energy. That energy is still predominantly uh, generated by or electricity predominantly generated by fossil fuels, mm. 
And so they are contributing to emissions, which is against climate action and the government's, you know, commitments under the Paris Agreement and so on. And so what's happened, and this isn't just in Ireland, but in the last, I would say, 10 years, the tech companies have become very savvy at trying to position themselves as greener than the next. So it's another sort of area in which they can compete with one another. And um, so Amazon has said that by 20, I don't know if they've actually put a date on it, but I think, you know, as soon as possible, they're going to be 100% renewables for their data centers. And they are the largest provider of, of data center or data storage services in the world. So the question is then, how do they do that? Um, and what they're now, what, what, what they're trying to do is position themselves as the solution to a problem that they're causing. So they're now saying that they are going to help build out, you know, wind energy and they're going to, you know, do it also through offsetting. But what, what you, you see then is, um, uh, you know, a, a possible situation where the building out of wind energy or other kinds of, of, of um, you know, alternative energy is being um, uh, monopolized or siphoned off for the data centers okay. and not being used for other things, uh, you know, which it needs to be. So that's, that's a big issue. Uh, you know, going back to the question of who shapes our energy futures, who shapes the transition towards a low carbon future, should it be tech companies and their needs or should it be, you know, social needs and, and, and uh, wider kind of public considerations? But the other thing that I think is really important to add to this whole debate about the, 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 the alternative energy is that, you know, this would be and, and this is, I guess, a harder point in a way to make. Is that a little bit like we just talked about the growth of data, that this isn't exponential, it can't keep going just like we can't keep growing fossil fuel consumption. It isn't enough to think that we are going to be able to just substitute our existing and projected, you know, energy consumption with wind and solar and possibly wave to use that instead of fossil fuels. There's a certain kind of technological fantasy in that. And that technological fantasy is another kind of part of this wider, what would you call it? I mean, ideology of green capitalism, that things can keep on growing, things can keep on as they are by just substituting one resource for another, a clean one for a dirty one. And if you look at, and I already mentioned it, the kinds of footprints of things like wind energy, you can see that it, it is having all sorts of other implications. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, in Ireland, we've seen that with opposition over the last 10 years from, you know, uh, communities largely in, in, in rural Ireland or entirely in rural Ireland mm -hmm. against the location of the locating of these big wind turbines. But again, I mean, electricity requires grids, huge investments in big infrastructure grids. That is a material infrastructure. Um, you know, the elements that are used in, in turbines and magnets, the land that's used. I mean, these things are not, they are not without significant costs and i understand that there is always costs obviously with you know making nature useful for for humans mm -hmm. but the, the, the big thing again is about who the, who bears the burden of the costs yeah. and who benefits from those transformations i mean that's the key and um it's not neutral it's 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 um it's uh you know, it's a question of spatial justice and social justice, which I, I guess is the, the point of this podcast.
And there was one, there was one word you used in, I, I read a piece that you've written recently, additionality, and I don't know what that means. Can, is, can you explain that? Sure. So it's the idea that, um, you know, uh, say uh, a, a company like Amazon says that it is, you know, building a wind farm mm-hmm. for to meet some of its its energy oh, needs okay. with its data centers. And it actually doesn't build them. It just it finances them. So nice. through these corporate power purchase agreements. And the question is whether that wind farm would have been built anyway or whether this is an additional gotcha. uh, energy source. And because there is, um, you know, that the cost of generating wind is becoming cheaper, connections, grids, all of these things are, are kind of making it more, more possible, more feasible. It's not like 20 years ago. There is a strong argument, argument to say that these are not additional. Okay. They would be being built anyway. The only thing is that Amazon are basically, or other, other tech companies are basically siphoning it off for their needs and can use it to offset against their emissions and so on. So that's the thing about additionality. The things with additionality is it's very hard to prove. Right. Gotcha. Um, and you've already, because my next question was, what's a corporate power purchase agreement? I have a question mark beside that, but you've already answered that as well. So that's yes, great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So that's them buying directly from a, a, a wind, you know, or other kinds of energy generator producer. So they enter into a contract. So I'd say, you know, for the next 20 years, I'll buy all the wind that is generated from this wind farm. And okay. I will, I will give you a minimum price right. for that. For every every you know, uh, watt that is produced, I will, I will make sure you get a minimum price. But ultimately, that wind farm. I mean, I don't. Again, I'm not a, a, an energy economist or, or, or expert on energy markets. But ultimately, the way that wind, wind these these work, energy markets work, is that you sell your energy into the grid. And AirGrid is the operator of the mm-hmm. grid here. If it needs more energy it has to turn on more sources. So, you know, it's, it, it basically goes out to the, the lowest bidders, um, you know, the, the lowest, the cheapest price. So, I mean, I mean, where am I going with all this? I, I guess it's like, you know, it's, it's not clear at all that Amazon or Facebook who have both entered into these corporate power purchase agreements, the extent to which they are, you know, doing a great deal extra yes. to to ease the pressure on Ireland's energy grid or to you. add additional alternative energy to our system. It's I not clear at all. Is that the whole thing? Of, are they making the pie bigger or are they taking a bigger slice of the pie that's already there? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I and yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's another interesting part to this, which is, there's ongoing, you, you probably know about this ongoing um, campaigns against the building of this liquefied natural gas terminal in the Shannon Estuary. And the idea there is it's, I mean, it's been since 2006, they've been trying to build that. Um, and um, that would be to import fracked gas from the US and turn it into liquid gas. No, it's fracked gas, it's turned into a liquid gas, then in Shannon, it would be turned back into uh, natural gas, okay. gas form, and then put into the gas pipelines. And um, that's been, you know, contested and it, it looks like it's been stopped uh, for various reasons, including, um, you know, climate, you know, that it doesn't meet sort of Ireland's commitments to, to climate action. But um, 
the data centers in Ireland or the tech sector in, in, in Ireland have, you know, been in, in talks with the developer of that liquefied natural gas terminal because they're interested in it because it's um, a secure source of, of energy. And, and, and that's not very widely publicized. It's much more publicized when they're involved in a wind farm in Donegal or somewhere. But at the, the bottom dollar or the bottom line for the data centers is they need a secure, constant source of energy because they work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They cannot afford to shut down. Mm -hmm. And so this talk about blackouts, and you'll see it now, I'm sure, you know, within, within the government, it's 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 not going to it, it's going to put up red flags for potential uh, companies that might locate data centers here. Yeah. So in a way, it's good that this has come out because whether or not the government does decide to put curbs on it, you're, you're not going to come here if there's potentially a blackout. And the thing we know about wind energy and other ambient energy, like you know, wave or solar, is that it's not permanent. Yes. Yeah, you know, it doesn't blow all the time. It's not waves all the time and so on. And so they need some kind of other backup. And until there is, I mean, you know, there's obviously talk about um, different forms of energy storage, like hydrogen and so on, battery storage. But really, we're a bit off from that. So ultimately, data centers built now, they need to ensure they have, um, you know, diesel or other forms of backup in case of some kind of electricity cut or so on. So in a sense, they, they have to they, 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 they have to ensure that there is for every wind farm that they're going to build, they have to ensure that there's other forms of non-alternative energy in case that wind doesn't blow. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's a, bit, a bit like a bank that, you know, for every for every pound you lend, you have to have 50p in the bank, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Yeah. And, and again, it's not something I've looked into a lot, but there have been issues around diesel particularly around diesel generators that data centers okay. have, which are obviously, you know, that they, they you know, diesel is not a, a clean fuel. Um, so there's lots of things to, you know, I, I guess there's lots of things to unpick. And I, I think that, you know, what, you know, I'd really like to, you know, and I think it should come out of what, of what we've talked about so far is just how much the tech sector, but others beyond the tech sector, are invested in a particular image of that sector. And you see this in ideas like the cloud, terms like the cloud, but you see it in everything from, you know, tweets and streaming and um, even Amazon. You know, there, there, there is a use of these, this, this language, which I don't think is accidental. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen accidentally, which, which, which gives this idea of something, you know, which isn't natural, but isn't um, dirty. And yeah. it's also bound up with the idea of services and service precision and information and data. It's all made seem ethereal and clean. And I, and I think that, you know, whether or not get into all the specifics of how these things work, it's, it's, it's enough probably that we've said that, you know, there is, there is material, there is a material kind of under underbelly, you know, yeah. Bitcoin is this um, uh, digital currency and again, it's made seem as if, oh, it's digital. I mean, it's even less material than the money that we use in terms of notes and coins. But yeah, more and more work is coming out to show just how energy intensive these Bitcoin, this Bitcoin mining is. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess it's just to, just to make that point. And I'd extend it also to things like green energy. 
and renewable energy. These are also terms that, you know, the wind and the waves and, um, uh, you know, the sun are incredible energetic, you know, resources, or maybe not resources, elements, mm -hmm. you know, that they provide this, this, you know, energy. But the ways in which they are being developed, um, you know, the scale at which they're being developed, um, and in terms of the kinds of, uh, I would also say in terms of the kind of corporate uh, models and ownership um, and private ownership, they are kind of not so different to the energy regimes that we're trying to get away from in terms of causing, uh, you know, injustice, exploitation, ecological devastation in different ways. Yeah. And I think that it's just it's just that that with with this sort of, you know, this 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 hopefully this shift away from, um, you know, economic systems and, um, you know, uh, uh, you know forms of production and consumption that we, we know are so 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 terrible and so on, we just need to be alert to the fact that, that the, the kind of replacements or, or things that are being put forward as the kind of replacements. Are, are are you know need need to be questioned at the very least you know it's not just technological solutionism um, yeah and that's that's and that's the thing say about Bitcoin I mean, El Salvador I think have uh, have accepted it now as legal legal tender but yeah. you know so you're turning it into something intangible into intangible mm. as you said to create what effectively is I mean I I, I am. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I couldn't paste a Bitcoin explainer somewhere. I kept it on my, my desktop because I thought I really don't get this. I really <laughs> don't understand it. But it, yeah, it's that thing of, you know, what's intangible is also tangible. It's real. It does exist, but in a yeah. slightly different way. It's not, it's not pounds and pence, but there's a footprint there. Yeah. 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 And one, one last thing I'd say, because yeah. I didn't say it, is that I think that you're, you know, because you're, you're, I don't know if you were apologizing, but you know, admitting that Bitcoin, you don't quite understand how it works. And similar at the beginning, you were talking about data center. What, again, I think there's a connection there, which is important to sort of interrogate, which is that these kinds of technological developments are, are so complex and opaque to most of us, all of us, that they, um, become kind of naturalized as just these things, or or they at the, at the very least, they become something we cannot debate. We don't know what they are, even as they become more and more in, embedded in our lives and shaping our lives. And that at a very basic level is why it's so vital to have podcasts like this in a, a small way. But, you know, you know for, for this to be in discussion and for people to find out about these things and for researchers and artists and activists to be involved in trying to bring them to the surface because they are not um, uh, uh, impossible to understand. And um, we need to try to understand them in order to, you know, democratize them and take some control over them and to, to try and, you know, make sure that they don't lead us down this, this blind alley, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I am somebody who still finds fax machines amazing. How, <laughs> how, how did they do it? How does yeah. the other machine know? <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah. I'm the same. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, well, no, thanks for reaching out. I mean, I genuinely uh, mean it that I, 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 
I, I I love talking about it because I do my research on it. And people are interested, Brilliant. but I also think it's it's important to to kind of you know have as many different avenues and ways to yeah. to, to bring to get it out there. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, any topics that you'd like us to explore, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.